Hello, welcome to the Lit English English Lit podcast. Today we're going to be looking at Act Four, Scene One of Hamlet, and given the high emotional intensity of most of Act Three, this scene is kind of like a filler. Really, it gives us some information about plot. It's a fairly short scene. It seems, perhaps, on the surface, perhaps even to be a little bit innocuous and. Unsubstantial, but it's actually an incredibly meaningful and significant scene. The scene simply involves Gertrude and Claudius talking through the events of that evening. So, Hamlet killing Polonius and and Gertrude's conversation with Hamlet, and them deciding what is to be done next. In the middle, there is a, a, a moment where Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are ordered by Claudius to go find、um, Hamlet, and. It is the first scene, speaking of Hamlet, since Act Two, Scene One, that doesn't feature Hamlet. So it's quite nice, actually. I mean, not that we don't want Hamlet to be appearing and not frustrated with him or anything. Well, maybe we are, but but it actually enables us to focus clearly on the the other characters, and in this case, Gertrude and Claudius, who are a couple that we're finding more and more about, at least in terms of their individual personalities. We don't know much about their dynamic as a couple. We haven't really seen them together very much, and certainly not、um, on their own. And what we find out in this scene is not that they are particularly close or using this challenging time to grow close together and to lean on each other and support each other. It's actually a scene that reveals the opposite. Instead of bringing them together, this tragedy has, and this scene demonstrates this quite clearly, how they are actually growing apart. So I hope you're with me. Get your books ready. Act Four, Scene One. Let's do this. I find these、uh, podcasts for shorter scenes so much easier to do. I'm really struggling the last, you know, most of Act Three, to be honest, to c- kind of develop a, a coherent, well-structured podcast that doesn't just ramble on and on. So I'm quite. I had to have a shorter scene, and these next few scenes are all quite short. But they actually pro- provide some opportunity to get kind of deep into the text, and and I appreciate that. So I'd like to first of all start by talking about Gertrude. What do we learn about Gertrude in this scene? The first thing to recognize, which we might not actually realize, again, just through reading,、um, and again. It demonstrates quite obviously that watching the play is the way forward. Is that she's almost certainly crying, and or at very least emotionally upset when they walk in.、Um, now we don't know, you know, obviously what has happened in the seconds beforehand.、Um, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern are with them, so I'm not exactly sure how open Gertrude is with the emotions, but. Claudia says these sighs, these profound heaves, right? That that's crying and sighing, and 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 so Gertrude is very visibly upset, and she is upset enough that she feels that Rosencrantz and Guildenstern should not be there. So she feels comfortable at least to dismiss them. But then, when Claudia asks her what's wrong, I don't know if you've noticed this, she lies. She not only lies; she 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 well, she doesn't lie by 
not only lie by kind of saying the wrong thing, but she also lies by failing to say the right thing, which is another form of lying. Um, line seven. So King says, what, Gertrude, how does Hamlet? Queen says, first word, mad, as the sea and wind, when both contend which is the mightier. Now, the very last thing, or one of the last things that Hamlet said to Gertrude was, don't tell the king I'm faking it. Keep up this pretense that I'm mad. There we go. Gertrude has very clearly, from the very start of the scene, shown us that she is on Hamlet's side. She lies again um, in line 26. She refers to his madness, right? She says, uh, um, the Claudius asks him where he is, and the queen says, to draw apart the body he hath killed over whom his very madness, like some ore among a min mineral of metals base, shows itself pure. So twice she says that Hamlet's mad. And then third lie is very right after that, line 28. He weeps for what is done. Well, we know that Hamlet did not cry over what Polonius, he did to Polonius. In fact, quite the opposite. He seems rather callous and unfeeling about it. And we discussed why that might be in the previous podcast. So I'm not going to get into that now. But it does show that Gertrude is covering for Hamlet and doing what he asked of her in Act 3, Scene 4. And in case you can't remember, it's lines 209 to 210, right? Well, starts back in 203. Don't do this. Not by this. No means that I bid you do. Ravel all this matter out that I essentially am not in madness, but mad in craft. In other words, don't tell the king that I am mad in craft. In other words, that I'm pretending. The This would have been an ideal moment, of course, for Shakespeare to give Gertrude a long monologue, or even another part in the play, another part in the scene, a soliloquy. And the lack of this from her still means, means that we still don't know exactly how she feels. And that's significant. We are still having to infer a lot. It's what makes Gertrude a very compelling character. She's a minor character. But there's a lot going on, and she's at the center of all of this. And then her kind of her fourth lie, or fourth, fifth, sixth, however you want to look at it, and I call this a lie of omission, meaning you lie by not telling the whole story. So a good example of this is if I ask my son, did you brush your teeth? And he said, yes. Now, he brushed his teeth two days ago, but my question didn't specifically ask him that, so technically he's not lying. Well, I call that a lie of omission. If I say to you before you go to bed, have you brushed your teeth? I'm, I'm obviously saying, did you brush your teeth this evening? Then we have to go through with toothpaste and all that kind of stuff. Anyway, what does Gertrude say? Well, notice that Gertrude does not say anything of Hamlet's suspicions about Claudius's murder of the previous king, or of Hamlet's suspicions about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern and what they intend to do or why they're taking him to England, that he doesn't trust them. Again, think of the, the dynamic between two people who trust each other. I, I would have thought Gertrude would say to Claudius, hey, um, funny thing... <laughs> Hamlet thinks that you had something to do with uh, old Hamlet's death. Or, by the way, Hamlet's a little bit... Um, 
He has a weird idea about Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. You know they're taking him to England. He has some kind of strange idea. He doesn't trust them. You don't know anything about that, do you? Or something where they're at least confiding in each other. That's not happening. Now, she's not directly lying here, as I said, but there's a, clearly a lack of trust and maybe even a suspicion that Hamlet has told her the truth. That, to me, could be the only, the only two possible explanations. It's, it can't be that she's forgotten. It must be on her mind. So either she thinks that Hamlet is telling the truth and she's scared to bring it up with, with, with Claudius, or for whatever reason, she doesn't trust Claudius. And those two obviously overlap. So Gertrude is actually reveals a lot about her and her relationship with Claudius in this scene. Um, after the break, we'll look at Claudius himself. What's up? This is Milo, and welcome to Joke Time with Milo. Um, I will be sharing a couple of my favorite um, hilarious jokes. So my first one is girl and she's like how'd you break your leg guys like well see those stairs by the garage she's like yeah he's like well i didn't (laughs) and it's this two guys and they're telling a blonde joke and this one blondie walks up and she's like hey i'm not um you have no right to tease us just because um about how dumb we are just because of our hair color Last night, I memorized every um, single state capital. And one of the guys like, oh yeah? Then what's the capital of Nevada? N! (laughs) (laughs) So, another one is, dude, how's your brother doing? I heard he was in the hospital. Oh, he's not doing too good. He won the contest. Who could lean the farthest out the window? (laughs) And... Uh, one of the other ones is so this police car like gets on this on a on a car um like starts siren he's chasing the car and it's like this old lady about 90 years old like going a hundred miles per hour on the on, um on a street not even the freeway just a random street and and he's like pull over and she's and she she's like knitting and he's like, pull over, and she's like, nope, pair of socks. <laughs> <laughs> and pull over, just for reference, is like a like like a coat or a sweater in Britain. So um, the next one, the um, so there is a nun <laughs> walking on the sidewalk, and she sees this drunk guy right in front of him. And she's like, oh no. So she tries to like double back and go a different way. And he like goes back his way and just goes in front of her again. He's like, oh my gosh, this guy is creepy. <laughs> so she's like going along and she's like, and he keeps blocking her off. He's like, okay, I'm just gonna have to pass him. So she passes him, and as she does, he, he like grabs her and throws her to the floor. She's like, play dead. So she plays dead, and he's like, see, you ain't so tough now, Batman. <laughs> and that is Joke Time with Milo. See ya.
Welcome back to the Lit English English Lit podcast. We're looking at Hamlet Act 4, Scene 1, and we're looking at the other kind of main character in this scene, in fact, the character who does most of the talking, and that is King Claudius, Gertrude's husband. And the first thing that I notice about Claudius is his lack of obvious concern for Gertrude. Um, Gertrude is crying, Gertrude is visibly upset, and very similar to the way Polonius handles Ophelia in Act 3, Scene 1, after the get thee to a nunnery speech. Claudius's first response to the news that Hamlet killed Polonius is concern for himself, right, and relief that he wasn't there. Um, he says, oh, heavy deed. It had been so with us had we been there. His liberty is full of threats to all. Then he does backtrack a little bit. Oh, to you, yourself, to us, to everyone. Um, so it's not just about him. But but clearly his first indication is that he's relieved he wasn't there. Notice that he doesn't say why he thinks Hamlet would have killed him. Um, all, all Gertrude has said is that, well, Hamlet in a fit of madness killed Polonius. Um, now, probably privately, Claudius does think that Hamlet would have killed him, but notice he's not sharing that suspicion or why he's suspicious with his wife. His next concern, again, not Gertrude, not how are you, honey, that must have been horrible to see, are you okay? No, his next concern is to make sure that he can handle the public fallout. Here is Claudius, ever the diplomat, in full damage control mode, right? He says, line 17, Alas, how shall this bloody deed be answered? It will be laid to us, he's using the royal we, whose providence should have kept short, restrained, and out of haunt this mad young man. Okay, and then later on he says, um, Come, Gertrude, we'll call up our wisest friends, line 39, and let them but know both what we mean to do and what's untimely done. And then he goes on to hope to say that, well, he hopes that what happens does not kind of damage him politically. Um, he also kind of says that, you know, he'll be seen almost like as the owner of a foul disease, right? This is, this is kind of how he is afraid it's going to be seen. He's, he's afraid that it's going to be seen that Hamlet should have been restrained more. And he says, like a foul disease, he let it spread by what? By refusing to divulge it, um, by refusing to admit it, admit that it existed. Kind of sounds uh, very much like uh, some people in our branches of government and certain news channels, but I don't mean to get political. I'm sorry. Forget I said that. And then he also says that he must, with all his majesty and skill, this deed both countenance and excuse. Um, that majesty and skill and then countenance and excuse is a really interesting... I don't know what it's called. I should look this up. But, but um, Shakespeare wants us to... Shakespeare wants the majesty to go with countenance and the skill to go with excuse, right? So it should, it's basically with all my majesty, countenance and my skill excuse this deed. In other words, I've got to use my authority to kind of handle this, and I've got to use my political skill to kind of explain away what has happened. So he's fearful of the political fallout, that it could come back to hurt him. 
So no concern for Polonius, no concern for Gertrude, no concern for um, Claudius's, I mean, Polonius's children, which is ironic because Laertes, Polonius's son, is going to come back and, and actually threaten Claudius in a, in a couple of scenes. In fact, the very next, very next scene, I think. Oh, no, no, Act 4, Scene 5. Um, he, of course, gets his uh, lackeys, Rosencrantz and Guildenstern again. This, this time he uses them as, I suppose, police officers, right? Go go find Hamlet. Go go get him. Bring him here. Not really, you know, poor Rosencrantz and Guildenstern. I mean, like I said before, they are, they are over their head and they came to kind of see Hamlet and see if they could help him. And now all of a sudden they are Rose, they are Claudius's kind of go-to henchmen. Um, and then I, I find this, this line on line 39 quite strange. He says, we'll call up our wisest friends. What does he mean by that? Who, who, what does he talk about? The wisest friends? Who are these people? Do they exist? And so, you know, I wonder, you know, maybe it's his allies who will help him control the fallout. You know, the people who um, have helped him, you know, smooth over whatever he did to become king. And the fact that he married Gertrude, his sister-in-law, so quickly. He must have had like a spin machine, propaganda, you know, people posting things on Facebook and Twitter, putting out ads and stuff like that. It's interesting to me, though, how he uses a military analogy to describe actually rather clumsily, appropriately, how hope, how he hopes the scandal won't hurt him. Um, line 42, um, talking about the, the event, whose whisper over the world's diameter as level as the cannon to his blank transports his poison shot may miss our name and hit the woundless air. In other words, I hope this is like a gun that goes off but doesn't hit me. And of course, Claudius is a diplomat. He's not a warrior. And so it's ironic that he should use a military analogy at last, but it's also kind of interesting that he uses it a little bit clumsily. It's not the best analogy. Um, and then two final things about him. I noticed that he had to ask Gertrude twice to come with him. I don't even know if that's significant. I just found that interesting. So line 49, 39, come Gertrude, we'll call up our wisest friends. And then again, 45, oh, come away. I wonder if Gertrude is hanging back. Um, maybe she's looking for an opportunity for a soliloquy, um, but Claudius has to clearly kind of persuade her to come with him. I wonder if that's significant, if it helps us understand the kind of the lack of intimacy between the two. And of course, we have yet another rhyming couplet to end the scene. I think almost every single scene from now on has a rhyming couplet to end it. So just emphasizing that significance. Oh, come away. My soul is full of discord and dismay. Yes, it is. Polonia, I mean, Claudius, you're right, but it's probably not the discord and dismay that you are telling your wife, right? Um, Claudius is not telling Gertrude about any of his suspicions. He's not going to her and saying, honey, I, I think Hamlet has these suspicions about me. I, I need to tell you something, right? And of course, he doesn't have to admit to murdering the king, but he could at least say, I think Hamlet thinks I killed the king, right? You know, a trusting relationship, that would have happened, but He's not being honest. So he's not being honest. Gertrude's not being honest. And it's a pretty strong indictment of the state of their relationship. Well, thank you for joining me once more on our trip through Hamlet. It's been a, a long journey and we are only into act four by the way if i forgot to say at the beginning if you are following along in the david tennant bbc production act four scene one starts hour two minute six second 30 
and goes through to 209.22. So if you're following along, again, it's a fairly short scene, but like I said, fairly significant. Well, some final thoughts and uh, connections. I wonder, you know, after everything that she's been through with Hamlet, I wonder how Gertrude feels when she sees her husband in this scene. I mean, obviously he doesn't walk in onto her, but I wonder how she feels when she sees him. And she must now, she must now at least have considered that Claudius has killed her first husband. Hamlet said that and, 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 and she believes it or she doesn't believe it, but it must be on her mind. And I I wonder if that's why she's crying. Um, Maybe she's putting on the crying or maybe she's genuinely upset about this is the man I married. You know, when you suddenly see someone in a different light for the first time, it must be very disconcerting. Um, you know, when you ha- you believe something about someone and you find out it isn't true or something has happened and all of a sudden you see that person in a new light. And then when you literally see them for the first time, it's different. It's weird. It's strange. And particularly if you're thinking about a husband, wife and the level of inti- intimacy there, it must be a very difficult thing for Gertrude to deal with. For Claudius, really, we see that he's selfish. Right, He's much more concerned with political expediency and spin than even his own wife. And what we see in this scene is that both Gertrude and Claudius are suffering. And they are suffering in mutual isolation. That They are not together. They are suffering apart. But they are but it is beneath a veneer of intimacy. Right? The appearance seems intimate. They're not actually kind of clearly mad at each other. They're being perfectly cordial, seemingly comforting, seemingly, um, you know, normal, but neither is being honest. And so it's a veneer of intimacy and certainly not authentic intimacy. And Claudius's use of the first person singular pronoun is actually the perfect example of this. So first person singular, meaning, well, it's actually first person plural pronouns, right? We, us. And and when we hear Claudius say that, it, it creates this sense of togetherness. But of course, it's an illusion of togetherness. Because he, when Claudius says we, he's not talking about Gertrude and me. It's the royal we. He's talking about himself. Claudius is acting unilaterally. It has a veneer, and I think I said this in Act 1, Scene 1, or Act 1, Scene 2, it has a veneer of inclusivity, but actually it's unilateral. And I counted it. He uses the second person, which is you, yourself, four times. He calls Gertrude by name three times. One of which, by the way, the the second person is your son. (laughs) Not our son, remember. As the play goes on, Claudius is distancing himself from Hamlet. But he uses the first person, whether it's I or we, 14 times. So that tells you a lot of where Claudius's perspective is. The use of pronouns is, 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 can be really telling sometimes. And I feel that this scene underscores and demonstrates quite palpably a total lack of honesty between two people who have had rough experiences but don't feel that they can confide each other. They dare not. They both have too much to lose. And, and this is the, the tragedy of it, right? We see these two people suffering. I mean, I don't know how much 
sympathy we have for Claudius, of course. I mean, he is clearly the villain and he's going to make make sure that he's seen as the villain at the end of Act 4, Scene 3. But, you know, he's fleshed out. He's human. We, I think we have some, some sympathy for Gertrude. But it's tragic. You know, they, we need, when we are in this kind of situation, we need people to talk to. And there's this false... This illusion of intimacy where people are together, whether it's in physical proximity or whether it's on social media, online, when you can't actually talk honestly, then it's tragic, right? When a close relationship degenerates to the point that honesty is no longer an option because you have too much to lose, think about that for a second, who is going to share your burden? And what I find really poignant about this is that it's clear more than ever that Hamlet is not the only one pretending, and he's not the only one suffering the consequences. You know, we we have talked about the fact that Hamlet's choices are going to make other people suffer. But actually what this scene shows is that it reminds us that while this is mainly, yes, mainly the story of a moody, troubled Danish prince, It is also the story of a number of others who suffer. And not just at Hamlet's hands, but mainly because of Claudius' actions. It's his murderous action and his paranoid surveillance afterwards that have put in motion the events of the play and have exacerbated its effects. And as the play goes on, it becomes much, much more about what Claudius is doing then what about what Hamlet is doing? So that's what we have to look forward to over Act 4 and Act 5. I hope you will join me for our next few podcasts. I hope you enjoyed this one. Stay safe. Look after yourselves. Look after yourselves. Look after each other. And I'll see you soon. Bye.